take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 19 of the Life in Red podcast. Uh, happy and pleased to be joined uh, by my new friend, Carrington. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so why don't you tell the people what you do? Yeah, so um, I am an Indigenous youth advocate, meaning I advocate on policy, legislation, um, facilitate workshops, engagement sessions uh, regarding Indigenous youth or with Indigenous youth and their communities on a variety of different topics. Um, And I've done that since I was 17, 18 years old. Really? Yeah. Wow. So you've always had kind of uh, a passion for this thing like you you knew what you wanted to do and how you were going to help no actually um i my dad always told me that i like to argue <laughs> um and so when i was you know 16 17 went through a little bit of an existential crisis wasn't sure what i wanted to do or where i wanted to be um uh, so my grandparents on my father's side they're black scotian Mi'kmaq, and on my mother's side i'm german so i always had a bit of an identity crisis and i wasn't really sure who i was or where i fit into this you know, big, Mm -hmm. wide world. Um, And so I kind of wanted to find myself. And uh, University of Ottawa has a really amazing Indigenous community. It's very large. It wasn't so far away from home that I couldn't visit frequently, but close enough. So I moved here with no friends, no family. And I was just recently 18. And then I kind of just stumbled into the work. I I never actually thought that I would be doing this work. Yeah. so do you do it through an organization? Um, do you do this like you started this kind of movement um, with it? So I, I've done it with several different organizations. I recently just resigned from one organization and as I'm transitioning and moving to Toronto to mm-hmm. work for another one. Um, but I do do it on my own capacity. Okay. Um, uh, there, there's a large group of like indigenous young people who are advocates um, and we're activists. And so, you know, half per like within an organization, but also on, on my own as well. Okay, amazing. Um, I, I think it was episode 16 or 17 I had um, Caroline on, and she works for um, an Indigenous-centered uh, radio station, so they, that, that's what they focus on. Um, and we were able to, you know, talk briefly about, you know, her work in the community and what she's learning and what she's finding. Mm. Um, what is it that about... So like you said, you have a, a bunch of different kind of backgrounds in your family and you weren't really sure how that all fit in. So why did you find it important to you um, to that, you know, your indigenous background was what kind of called to you and why you felt the need to speak so passionately on it? Yeah, I think growing up, I saw the the sadness in my grandparents' eyes. Um, so what a lot of people don't know is, um, are you familiar with the Underground Railroad? Mm. So when, when slavery existed, the Underground yeah, Railroad okay. was created um, so that uh, people could come to Canada. And one of the biggest places that they settled in was in Nova Scotia. And from that, um, large communities were created, like between the Mi'kmaq tribe nation um, and the black folks who had settled there. And so 
it's never been really talked about. It's not a history that's well known. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of academia on it. If you're in, you know, elementary school, there's not a chapter where you're going to learn about this history. So realizing that there wasn't a history that actually reflected my family and our story and that my grandfather would always say, you know, I wish I, I knew more. Um, but they always told me to be proud. So, you know, I was raised in black culture um, and I, I knew more, more about what it meant to be like German and, you know, German food and music and all of those things. And so that was just a piece that was missing. I, I didn't know what it meant to be Mi'kmaq, what it meant to be indigenous. Um, and so for me, I can't explain it. It was like something was missing from my life. And actually like the tattoo um, that I ended up getting, it's funny, like it went first full circle when I realized mm-hmm. like why this was a piece that was missing for me and I guess why it was so important. Okay. Um, I think first off, because, you know, a lot of listeners uh, I know Carolyn and I talked about this, that me being from a small town where it, we were all white, like there w- was one token like colored person in the entire town that we knew my, around my age, at least. Um, so really learning about all this stuff was non-existent mm-hmm. for, for me and a lot of my friends and probably for a lot of people who are just starting out listening to this. Talking beforehand, before we even cracked the mics off air, <laughs> I already learned a, a couple different things. So I, I, I'd love for you to just kind of lay some sort of like just basics for people to grasp. One of them was what we were talking about is the term indigenous. Yeah. And why why we use for indigenous, the umbrella that's under it, and why it's kind of important that we're not using, you know, um, terms like... Um, that other terms that have been used maybe in the past. Yeah, so um, indigenous is the term that's actually used in Canada, okay. um, whereas in like the United States, they use Native American. In Australia, they still use Aboriginal. But so in Canada, indigenous encompasses First Nations, status and non-status, Métis and Inuit. Um, and so we're all kind of, like we're different. Mm-hmm. Um, First Nations is an encompassing of probably... Um, 600 different communities Mm -hmm. or more than that um and and it's just i guess it's easier for people to just say indigenous versus those three groups which you know there's dangers of that because some folks might pan-indigenize or think that we're all like the same when we're actually very different um you had also said something um kind of so why again you just you just kind of said it but why are these terms important um Um, aside from things that like Maybe people have used in the history in, yeah. in history, like and like. So, forgive me if it's offensive, but like Indian or yeah, yeah. Aboriginal or you know. Um, and yeah, I think it's important to note that six hundred different communities that are all completely different mm-hmm. all get clashed into one First Nations. Yeah, yeah. So um, well, historically, for folks that don't know, he, um, Christopher Columbus when he landed in what is now the Caribbean, thought he landed in India called them Indians. I guess it kind of stuck and mm. everyone just associated and called us Indians. Um, so the federal government back in, well, actually it would have been the, like the Canadian government, but it would have been the British crown um, back in 1876 created the Indian Act, which is, which it still exists. It's still called the Indian Act, um, which is wild, mm-hmm. uh, kind of defined what, it means to be an Indian from a very colonial Western perspective. It laid the foundation of how we are to be like governed by the government, where we can live. Um, it, it just like 
affected communities so badly. Um, but the Indian Act is only for First Nations status people. Um, Métis and Inuit are not under the Indian Act. They have different things. Oh, okay. Um, I guess, you know, Watts's stuff in that, uh, right off the top, what is like the feeling, you know, and I mean, you can't speak for everyone and I totally understand that, but one of the big things that comes up is sports teams uh, using mm. using the names yeah. um, that are, I think, considered offensive. One of them being the Redskins. Redskins, yeah. yeah. Um, the Eskimos. The Eskimos. Um, Cleveland Indians, you know, there's a couple, there's definitely a couple out there. Yeah, Um, (laughs) there is. (laughs) Is that term, you know, considered racist and offensive and sensitive? You know, why is it important that, you know, people who aren't from those communities take note of why we shouldn't, why is there's the fight against these teams? Yeah. Um, when you look at something like the term redskin, it's it's not a term of endearment. Yeah. That's Um, a big one. It's, it was, it's a negative word. It's a bad word. And, you know, a, an argument that you hear is, you know, these teams have existed for 40 years and no one said anything. Well, no, we've always spoken out against these things. It's just now we're finally in an era where, you know, we've, we've reached some form of equality, social media, there's a bunch of social movements. There's a, a larger platform and an opportunity to have your voice heard. And like people who aren't from your community can listen to you. Whereas 50 years ago, it wasn't that way, right? Yeah. I mean, within Canada, First Nations people only got the right to vote in the 1950s. Um, so that that speaks volumes of to like where our, our people have been at. And so when you hear people say like, oh, it's, it's not offensive. It's like, well, you would never use an identifier like that for another racial group. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like this, I don't know how people, I think it's like ingrained it's societal we don't really recognize how we dismiss like the concerns of indigenous people or we minimize those experiences um just because it's, it's been the norm for so mm-hmm. long um you know you have things like the cleveland indians it's like once again it was wrong to be native for so long but they felt the need to name teams after us probably wouldn't let you play in the team wouldn't give you the right to vote yeah but we're going to name this team after you and then stereotype what you look like um but not actually honor your culture or like your way of life we're just gonna use it for our, our profit so mm-hmm. i think that's what the issue is is that um like taking chunks of a culture that you think is cool or, and aesthetically pleasing and then doing whatever you want with it mm-hmm. um while having no regard for like the actual issues our communities are dealing with right now mm-hmm. um like how can you respect a community if you don't even foundationally respect who we are as a people? I think what is the biggest thing, because a, a lot of the things that I hear is like headdresses, for example. Yeah, I was gonna say like Halloween um, costumes you, you and stuff people, like that. You see people wear headdresses. They're like, well, I'm honoring you, um, you know, blah 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 blah. Like th- I'm respecting your culture, and I'm like, if you actually respected my culture, you would take the time to understand why this is so sacred and why it's so important, and you would actually respect you would actually respect it and like the the sacredness that comes from it like my ancestors died defending us having the right to those things mm-hmm. and now to see someone adorning it with chicken feathers that they bought on etsy that that's not honorable to me mm-hmm. um you know go to a powwow come to a round dance you you want to eat some traditional food i welcome that but it's like when you tell someone that they're not entitled to something from your culture um it's like this immediate yeah uh I don't, I don't even, I don't know how to explain it, I guess, but it's like, 
there's something with our culture that people just like to pick and choose. Um, and if I say, you know, it's I, I don't agree with you wearing the headdress. There's bigger issues for you to, for you to care about. You know, what about your reserves and the the corruption that's there? And it's like once again, if you can't foundationally respect the fact that this headdress is a sacred item only worn by certain nations, mm-hmm. why are you going to respect me when I talk to you about policy and legislation? You don't even view me as a human being, more or less. To, yeah. To be more like uh, extreme, but. Yeah, sorry, I just went on a little bit of a rant. <laughs> no, I, I went on a bit of a rant. Because but... <laughs> it, it totally opens up such a, a broad conversation. Things we hear so often now, especially in Canada, is reconciliation. And that's been, you know, since Trudeau's been elected, that's been a big thing that he's been pushing. And I don't even think, you know, and I, I even had to ask, I was like, what does that truly mean? Is it, mm. is it an I'm sorry? Um, mm-hmm. Is it reparation what and i i think it probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people again you can't just lump everyone into one basket and say this is everything that what what you have to do mm-hmm. but you know coming you know when you're talking to these these kids or maybe elders or or people from the communities what does reconciliation mean to them and why is it important is it important truly to them or is it more important for us as a Canadian society to be like, no, look, like we're really sorry, so we want to do this for you, or like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I, I think going back to um, reconciliation, a lot of countries have had truth and reconciliation commissions. One of them being South Africa with the apartheid. So what reconciliation means is essentially to go back to a time of when relationship was good. But if we look at the relationship between Indigenous people and, you know, the British Crown or the Canadian government, it's never been good. Mm-hmm. So, in, like, in my opinion, I don't think there's anything to reconcile. I think it's the wrong word to use. I think with English, there's a lot of limitations that come from it. Um, like, English is a restrictive language. Like, this means this, mm-hmm. and this doesn't mean this. Um, and so, like, what is what, what would replace reconciliation? I'm not quite sure. I, I think about this a lot. But the way I see it is that if reconciliation was a line... Indigenous people have been over the line. We've been waiting and willing and ready to have positive and, and good relationships with whether that be the, the British Crown, the French, the the Canadian government, and, you know, Canadians in general. Um, but now it's time for the Canadian government. Um, and I, I'm going to be really specific in who I say, like, personally, what I who I think reconciliation would be for mm-hmm. is that reconciliation is between like Canadian settlers whose ancestors came and like colonized and settled the land. Um, it's not for my black ancestors who came here for freedom or refugees or immigrants because they, they came here for safety. It's, it's not the same as people who came, got free land and, you know, used it. And obviously not even demonizing the people who did that because for the most part, they probably didn't even know what they were getting themselves into. They saw a sign that says get free land in mm-hmm. Canada and they came here. So, you know, like being like re- really realistic and yeah. probably how that transpired. But no, I don't, I don't think it's an apology. Um, I think foundationally it's like an understanding. Um, do you know the history of this country? Do you know the history and how it is like currently impacting people? Because a lot of the times you hear, just get over it. Mm-hmm. You didn't experience those things. It happened so long ago. Just get over it. And it's like, well, well no, inter- I'm not sure if you're familiar with intergenerational trauma. Uh, I, I'm going to let you explain it, but the way I think about it, so something when you take a, the residential school, so it's 
the the impact that was maybe made on the the grandparent and how that person carried that forward through their family. Um, basically, like so, if they had say PTSD or severe trauma and mm-hmm. mental illness, what alcoholism, whatever, and then that the effects of that also got passed down to the rest of the family, whether it's children or grandchildren, because of that. Like I'm. Sort yeah. of in there? Yeah, you're getting there. Okay. So it's like intergenerational trauma is trauma that's been passed down, like generationally. Yeah. So that even though, for example, like you said, if I didn't go to residential schools, I still feel the effects and the impact from it. Um, if we look at trauma, it actually physically changes your like your body. Um, and there is a thing of blood memory, um, which I, I think it's really difficult for people to grasp and understand. Um, but like trauma... It, it does have deep, deep roots in how it impacts people. Um, and we, we see that in Indigenous communities today, right? And, you know, to have that continuously dismissed is very harmful. And I think that's, like, foundationally, like, what, to me, if we we're going to go with the word reconciliation, what that means is, like, that, that deep understanding. Um, what, like, one of the main things that colonization sought out to do was to er- erase the names of our places, our ties to the land, um, our, the sacredness and the spirituality of that. Like there are words for these lands that are like thousands of years old. And when they came here, they named it King Street and Queen Street and Rito. Um, and they didn't name it, you know, what we had it as. So it's like a, reclaiming that space for us and like recognizing you know, for example, we're on Algonquin territory. It's unceded, mm-hmm. unsurrendered. They've been here since time immemorial. Um, how are you going to honor and respect that? I don't want your guilt and I don't want your apology. I want like your respect and understanding. Um, I want to see how it matters to you and like why it matters to you. And if it doesn't, why doesn't it? Um, we have this thing of like not caring about things just because they happened a really long time ago. But it's like, those are some deep wounds and they, they still are here and like we can still feel it. And so we have to stop dismissing things and like have more open like conversations. Like, mm-hmm. this. like we need to have that openness, that conversation. We need to really like unpack things. Um, some people are going to have different opinions on like what reconciliation means to me, but it to them, sorry, but it, it's like really about building relationships in a meaningful underway, a meaningful way, having mutual respect Um changing the educational system so that it's I'm sorry but it's very whitewashed you know like being an indigenous person growing up and seeing my history designated to one chapter in the Canadian history book and it's like all from the perspective of a like a settler Mm -hmm. where they talk about Bannock and the pioneers um and you might get to visit uh like a little I don't know what they're called like a field trip where you're going to visit something that looks with like what the natives used to live in like that's not Educational. That's not reflective of the unique communities of this country. Mm-hmm. It's from the perspective of the people who colonized us. And so it's like prioritizing our voices within academia and the educational system and the health system and like the mental health system and legitimizing our worldviews, um, our, our knowledge as much as you would uh, like a Western system. Um, I'm ranting again. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things you always see is that indigenous societies were called primitive um Mm -hmm. we were called like savages um that we are we're we're in a modern society now where we were before wasn't modern but my nation is matrilineal we had equal gender rights um we actually had you know some people might disagree once again but like lgbtq people um the the things that we had european society didn't have that Mm -hmm. 
But yet, because they had guns and, you know, different weaponry and machinery, they're seen as more advanced and we're seen as less. So it's like that, uh, what is that, ethnocentric viewpoints of the world is something that we have to unpack. And so for me, that's what all ties into reconciliation. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm. it's good to know, though, because I've always thought of it and, like, I've had thoughts about it, uh, kind of like you said. So it 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 happened a long time ago. Um, and some of the thoughts that I had is like, while I like, you know, I, I sympathize and, um, especially like I'm, I'm here now and I'm, I, I do want to learn and I want to hear the stories and stuff. Um, but like, I don't want to feel guilty for people I never known or never would have liked probably they probably i probably would have hated them myself um no no oh oh my god (laughs) holy shit no (laughs) that's okay i was like oh no like what i mean like the settlers so you know it's 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 the 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 thing and you can carry this towards anything with this you know any Mm -hmm. sort of when you go into racism and all that type of stuff which this is a form of racism but what i'm just trying to saying is like i never knew these people and and i never would have liked them Mm-hmm. So when I hear reconciliation, like, again, and it's great hearing this perspective, I was always under the impression, like, I'm supposed to say sorry on behalf of them. No. Yeah. I, so I don't think it's about. That's kind of why I like it. Because, like, you know, just I, I can only speak for myself personally. Yeah. That yeah. I totally want to learn more because I didn't learn anything uh, mm-hmm. in school. I didn't even know residential schools were a thing until I was. 21 yeah you know what i mean so so giving this platform and and mm -hmm. hearing you talk and actually learning is how i want to contribute but the thing i always kind of said and i think i said it on the podcast and feel free to disagree with me is like i don't want to say sorry on behalf of these your ancestors and so sorry and i'm phrasing that totally wrong that like it's not that i don't want to say sorry you don't feel like you should have to no Mm. i don't know how to phrase it properly but it's just like that wasn't me and I guess I don't think I should be hated or looked uh, like frowned upon because of what happened. Of you don't want to take ownership for something that you didn't. Kind of, yeah, yeah. So, so two things. Yeah, please, please. Um, one of the best things I ever heard was guilty, like th- th- feeling guilty or the, like the thought of guiltiness is an extension of something else. So if you feel guilt, it's it's from something else. Like you have to unpack that because mm-hmm. guiltiness is just a thought. Um, when you don't call your mom for two weeks and you feel guilty, it's actually because you've been told you need to be you know, consistently talking with your mom. If you don't, that makes you a bad son mm-hmm. and you're a bad child and blah, blah, blah. So that's where the guiltiness stems from. So if you feel guilt about something, it's like, well, why? Well, unpacking that and, and seeing it for what it was. Um, and I, like I said, I don't think it's so much as an apology, but the recognition that even if you didn't do those things, you benefit off of it. Like in order for us to be here in this moment, in order for Parliament Hill to be where it is, hundreds and thousands of people had to die mm-hmm. um, by the federal government. Right? Well, it would have been the British Crown, but you know what I mean. Um, and so like we need to, like you need to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to name it. And like I say, you know what? I didn't do that, but I'm benefiting off of it. And like once again, like me personally, I, I don't need your apology, just mm-hmm. your recognition, your understanding that like my people had to die in order for this country to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and like once, like, and a lot of people still won't like accept that or talk about it, right? Because they'll say, "Oh, you know, all is free in love and war, and it's just like the effects of war." It's like, no, like 
societies die. Like societies got eradicated, extinct. Um, when you lose a language, you you lose the entire worldview of a people. And like, think of how many tribes were lost, right? Mm-hmm. And so once again, like, it's it's not that guilt, but we we need to recognize that, um, and like reclaim that space for those people because th- those those tribes that are gone, they're gone forever. Mm-hmm. Like their language is gone, their history is like, which is heartbreaking. Like for my yeah. people, I can't go to France and learn my language. I can't go to Spain. Once my language dies, it's gone. And there's nothing I can do to ever get it back. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, what are Canadians going to do to help? Help. Like, what are Canadians going to do? How are you going to step up? Um, you know, it doesn't need... need a, I'm just ranting at this point No, again. please. That's what but, a podcast is for. <laughs> yeah, but it's... So it's like, what What are we going to do as a... Like, once again, there's, there's a, still a, a pretty big divide, unfortunately. But we've, we've been fighting for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when... The, that, that to have that validation, that recognition of our experiences it would mean so much more than an apology, right? Because like you said, you can't do anything. Like your apology isn't going to bring my people back. Yeah. Um, but like your, your determination or your dedication to moving together in a good way to like, like I said, knowing the name of the land, who are the people that reside here? Um, that is, that's impactful because, you know, when you're in your friend circles, or your family, and you hear someone say something, you can like ch- be our champion. Mm-hmm. And when when someone says all natives get free education and they don't pay taxes, you can say actually that's wrong. This is how it, it this is how it is, and that's where we're gonna that's reconciliation, right? That's on the ground actual mm-hmm. work, um, because there are a lot of myths and stereotypes that just people aren't aware of are incorrect, and like. People have the best of intentions sometimes, but their impact is just really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say, like, intent versus impact. Your intentions could be good, but you need to be mindful of how that's actually going to impact people um, and, like, the consequences of that. Yeah. Um, so, again, bringing it back to some basics here. And mm-hmm. thank you for putting it that way because, <clears throat> you know, I can sit here and talk to, you know, other other people who might know something about indigenous society and stuff but you you put it in a way that that i can understand right the Mm -hmm. putting it in a way of ownership but then how i can actually do something about it so Mm -hmm. thank you because i wanted this to be not only an educational experience for other people but for myself because i'm guilty and i have been commented on by my friends by sometimes saying saying things that are insensitive And your um, intentions could have been really good. Exactly. And and I do know that. I do have some some firm I don't want to say firm views. I don't but like there's just some things and I see, but I think a lot of it stems is just because I only see things in tweets. Yeah. And that's been one of my biggest problems. Is I it's and I just really picked up on this thanks to the help of my girlfriend is like reading tweets. It's not real life. I can't mm-hmm. and some I got guilty of that and I fell into it and I'd see someone tweet something I didn't agree with and I'm like, "Oh, society's going crazy. What's happening?" you know, and sorry, <laughs> I know crazy isn't the best word to use either. But to have the conversation, okay, so this is how I feel or this is sometimes how I think and how, you know, you putting it back to me, I think can resonate and go a long way. But I just think and like we talked about earlier, I think it was off air, but People are just afraid to have these discussions and conflict. Yeah. And I don't want to be afraid because I genuinely do want to help. 
and I do want to understand. Yeah. And I don't want to have a narrow-sighted view on yeah. things. One of the biggest things I can comment on, right, is that um, there are there are a lot of people who genuinely want to learn and they want to understand. Um, and what ends up happening, for example, is I get a job um, and people find out I'm Indigenous and then they bombard me with questions. Mm. Um, even on Facebook or social media, I get people I haven't talked to in years asking me, I have a paper due. My work wants to work oh, with this goodness. community. Can you like help me? Um, all of these questions. It's like, first of all, you can pay me to do like this consultation work. Like just because you know I'm native and we're somewhat social media friends doesn't mean I get to do free labor for you. Yes. So it's like being, once again, that intent versus impact, being mindful of the emotional labor you're going to put on people. Me, I love people asking me questions. You can ask me. I always, uh, I love facilitating sharing circles with people. Um, and I tell them, you know, ask me your questions, no matter how racist or ignorant you may think it can be. I want us to talk about it because I don't want you to go and Google it and find something that's wrong. Um, or misleading, whereas some people, they don't have that capacity. Mm -hmm. They don't want your question. They don't want to have to defend their experiences. They don't want to tell you about their lives, and that's totally cool. Mm -hmm. So, like, if, you know, you want to talk to someone about it, approaching in a way like, hey, is this okay if we talk about this? If not, I totally understand. But, like, um, respect, like respecting boundaries. Of course, yeah. Um, or even asking um, if those kinds of conversations are, are, like, welcome. And if not, then respecting that. Yeah. Um, because I get it so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're quite outspoken, which is great. And like you said, it's the benefit of social media. Um, uh, so, you know, again, like I just that it was an educational experience for me because someone did point it out to me. And I'm like, OK, how can I I don't want to just sit and stew on it or read a book. I want to talk to somebody about it mm -hmm. um, and learn and then see how I can correct things and maybe think of things that in, a, in a different way that I didn't before because the tweet didn't say that part about it, you know? So thank you. Thank you. No problem. Um, I did want to unpack a couple things. So first off, we're in Ottawa, so I think it's important to people know, you know, first step, what territory are we on and let's... You know, I don't want to be cheesy and be all like virtue signaling, like let's acknowledge it. But like, yeah, so, people don't know. Yeah. So um, if you're ever doing a land acknowledgement, we say we're on unceded and unsurrendered Algonquin territory, meaning they never signed a treaty giving away the okay. land. Um, they never ceded the land. Um, it, it, it's it was stolen illegally. Um, and so and that's across. So across Canada, when you're doing that, like. So all Algonquin territory is just where we are. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like. All when you're doing a land acknowledgement anywhere in Canada, you generally would say unceded, unsurrendered for the okay. most part, right? Because okay. um, I mean, there might be some exception, like, exceptions, sorry, like modern day treaties, mm -hmm. um, where people might have like communities yeah. that have sold the land. But for the most part, yeah, it's it's it wasn't taken legally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here in Ottawa, we are on Algonquin territory. Algonquin territory. Okay. Yes. So we all know that now. And how far does that stretch? Like, what does that territory look like Ooh, geographically? It's, it's quite big. Uh, yeah, it's quite big. Um, it, it goes into Quebec. Okay. Um, and how far west-ish? Uh, oh, I, I can only think of communities. There's Golden Lake, there's Kittagon ZB, um, and there's still like farther. It's pretty big. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a like, lot of Not going. quite to Toronto, though? No. So okay. Toronto is more of Mississaugas, Huron-Wendat, and Haudenosaunee people. Okay, perfect. So that's important. Now, now we all know, and we don't have an excuse. We don't know. What we know. <laughs> um, so when you are, 
speaking uh, in in front of people or to communities or to groups. What are some of the things that you and I don't want because I don't want to have you unpaid for things that you get paid for on either. Oh no, I don't, <laughs> I don't mind that. That's but this is what are what are some of the things that like you bring forward and you make a point of making mm-hmm. sure people understand before they leave the seminar or conference or wherever you're speaking that you're like these are some main takeaways that I want people to understand when they leave that they can bring bring to either other people or about their lives um, from being here with me. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that. Um... I see a lot, especially with this this era of reconciliation, is the word meaningful. Okay. Um, governments or organizations will say, we meaningfully engaged with such and such community. Or um, they'll ask us, what does meaningful engagement look like? What does meaningful consultation look like from an Indigenous perspective? Um, and like I said before, one of the things we have to recognize is that who holds the power in this country and like the power of language and that the definition of meaningful is coming from a Western colonial perspective. And so when the government says I meaningfully engaged with such and such community, if I went and asked them, they probably wouldn't say that it was meaningful because it didn't respect their traditions and their worldview and and like their community and their protocol. Um, So like unpacking the language that we're using and once again, like that, that intent versus impact and, and really being mindful of how our actions and our language have consequences. And that in order for us to be moving forward in a good way, we have to shift who has that quote unquote power mm-hmm. um, and let indigenous communities define what meaningful looks like in our own way from our own perspectives and stop asking for issues if you don't want to hear our solutions. Um, We'll, we'll say, this is the issue, we know what the solution is. And they'll say, okay, thank you, we'll take this under advisement and then do something completely different. Mm. Um, it, it's like that patrilineal uh, idea that government knows what's best, they, they know what the solutions are, uh, we'll just take you as like a little consultant and you know we're still going to go and do this anyways. And so, yeah, one of the biggest things is like, I, I try and tell people is that we have to legitimize indigenous worldviews, our perspectives, our traditions, and our protocols. Um, I have these lines on my wrist, and they represent the seven generations. And in my culture, it's the idea that with every action and decision that I make, I think of my impact seven generations before me and seven generations after me. And I have to be conscious of that. I have to be conscious of like who my ancestors are, what they went through in order for me to be here today. Like They had to survive all of that in order for me to be here in this moment with you and now what am I going to do that you know sorry but like I hope that seven generations ago my grandmother was thinking of me and thinking that I hope she grows up in a world that's much better than this and so today I'm thinking of my grandchildren seven generations from now hoping that they grow up in a better environment than what I'm in right now um like that is a worldview that should be respected mm-hmm. just because it's 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 different right and that's what tied into uh you know before when i said what felt like was missing and why mm-hmm. i didn't know what because history is important um we're so disconnected from our ancestors and like just honor them and respect them and paying your dues like hey you went through some shit for me to be here and i i love you for that and even if you don't know their names or their stories but just like recognizing all of what they went through in order for you to be here um you know when we're looking at academia um 
it's it's just like once again indigenous worldviews aren't respected they're not legitimized because we view things differently mm-hmm. um so the takeaway is like you, you need to have that openness to different but things that are different um and that just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong um we have a saying in my culture that there's multiple truths um like my way is my way and your way is your way and neither are right or wrong but there are truths and they can exist at the same time mm-hmm. the issue comes down to it when i say my truth needs to be your truth and i pass oh my, oh my gosh i pass a legislation or a policy or a law that now imposes that my truth onto you and says that yours is wrong um which has been like the continuous thing that's gone on in this country um those are the kind of things that are coming to my mind right now yeah to talk about um so it's a big it's just i guess i'm just getting it's just having people <clears throat> understand like the your perspective and like why you why you have that perspective and why you feel this way and why it's important to you and having people just make sure that they're like okay like yeah. i see how this impacts yeah people it's about valuing lived experiences um that having uh a degree or master's or a PhD doesn't make you the smartest cookie in the room. It doesn't mean you're the most entitled to speak or have space um, that a First Nations person who grew up on the reserve, their lived experience is just as valid and they have just as much a right to be heard and, sh- and share their story, um, which is like the difficulty in, even in jobs, right? Like um, we see this culture now where everyone just gets degrees but they don't really have that lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so we're just like in a room full of people who don't know how to talk to each other. Um, We don't know how to listen to one another. Um, And so it's going back to that. What is your lived experience? What are your natural gifts? Because we all have natural gifts. We just now live in a society where they're not really that nurtured. Um, They're not really encouraged. Um, I'm lucky that I had someone who saw my natural gifts. It's like, I love speaking. I love people and like building relationships. And they put me into a position where I was able to work on that skill. But if I didn't have that person um, or they said, you don't have a degree, you don't get to do this job, I don't think I would be where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. I went on another rant. No, don't have to apologize for the rants because <laughs> that's why it's long form podcast. Yeah. Um, I love it. Honestly, like I think us as a world as a human population we could really stand to learn something about that seven generation thing mm. um not to minimize the seven generation thing but that philosophy that no, idea yeah. um that uh, to me that's what's missing uh, and especially the older generation one of my biggest criticisms is they're all in it for themselves and in the moment and the yeah. short term and that leads into policy legislation uh business like everything is about here and now and how can i make as much money as possible at this given moment and it's like that's not helping anybody mm-hmm. um whether it's on the environment whether it's on you know people's issues or like it just it's a it's a scary time and i think i truly believe it's the wrong time so i i love that centered like that is a philosophy that should be adopted 100 <laughs> percent. well all, it's all about uh sustainability right um and thinking of something much larger than yourself that it's it's not about me at the end of the day yeah i know that the work that i do here i probably won't see the full effect of it mm-hmm. um and that someone else is going to have to come up and pick up that work 
but it's that like that continuation that cycle of you know thinking in that way that will make our communities like healthier and happier and stronger mm-hmm. um yeah um in terms of like equality when you're when, when an indigenous person speaks on equality mm. what does that kind of look like um you know in, in some of your experience and in in your eyes or through the community's eyes is it something more like like we as a society as a whole let indigenous people live the lives they see fit is it an integration of the two societies is it um some laws being passed in the eyes of indigenous uh, and then some as traditional like mm. uh canadian laws and then like implementing that on everybody like what does it how does it kind of look or what would be like maybe a goal of it um i think one of the biggest things is self-determination um and self-governance so right now at least for first nations communities who fall under the indian act and uh, have, like, for example, the ban system. Um, that was a colonial-imposed system of governance that goes against, you know, how all of us would govern ourselves. So, sorry, the, the ban system? So the ban system is, like, the chief and council. So it means that oh. you have chiefs, um, like your ban yeah. council representatives. Um, that was all by the government who created it. Um, and so we have our own traditional governance systems, but... I can't see le- I again. can't legally have that on my community, right? Um, I never would have known that. I th- yeah. and again, I thought that was like no, it's not wanted. Okay, <laughs> it's a it's like a very colonial system, like it's like very top down hierarchy based. Whereas um, that's scary. Sorry, to, I'm not trying to interrupt, but like that's in like every movie, everything I've ever thought I've known. I always thought like there was a chief, and chief. like that's what everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. At least from like my community standpoint, yeah, right? Of course. Um, your your chief was like a servant. Um, they didn't have power. Um, we'd have a, you know, you have your your grandmothers, who basically would like tell them like this this is what's going on, um, like advising and like really leading the community. It was the women um, who who would do that, whereas a chief would be just like the spokesperson. But their their role and their job is to serve the people and to listen to the people, not to impose what they think they need, um, which isn't the systems that we have right now. We we have the ban system, and so equality from my perspective looks like my Mi'kmaq community being able to implement our our traditional governance structures um, that you know we move away from the the current justice system that's very like retributive. Um, it's not restorative. It's it's not around healing and community, um, but it's like a cycle of pain and violence and abuse. Um, and so, what does indigenous justice systems look like? And giving us the power and the ability to create them, like in our own communities, versus like removing people. Um, equality is about stop taking our children away from us. Uh, right now, there are more children in the indigenous children in the child welfare system than at the height of the residential school system. That's wild. Uh, stop taking our children. To me, that's equality. Um, like, let us create our educational systems. You know, let us be it on the land. Let us hunt and fish and and seal in our in our ways that's like respectful of who we are as a people. Um, and, and once again, that like 
legitimizing our our experiences and our, our worldviews. Um, to me, that's what I think equality would look like, and I don't think we're anywhere near that, mm-hmm. like at all. Um, I do want to touch on so um, just from a personal connection on this. So the the taking of the children, because um, mm-hmm. you know uh, we did speak like I have experience in that area, mm-hmm. and I know not with everybody. But in some people in at least that community do view my family as that, as taking children. Mm-hmm. Um, how, like, is there is there a line in that where, you know, children's aid maybe does have to step in on, on um, the, the welfare of the child? Or is it ideally um, indigenous people would kind of like to... Uh, self-govern that and manage that in, in their own way uh, through their own traditions yeah i don't think children's aid has any business okay um i think it's, it's once again a very colonial system it's a very if, if we're going back it's like the way you look at parenting and, and family it's from a very european standpoint yes and so what ends up happening mind you there are probably some like a lot of scenarios or a fair amount of scenarios where like it's an unsafe environment for the child and yeah. the child should be like moved um but in some cases it could be someone who doesn't have that lens of an indigenous person and they might go into a house and see things and for us it's normal um, this is our way of life but to them it's unsafe it, they, the children doesn't have this 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 and this so they should be removed um, th- there's a lot of institutional racism systemic racism personal bias um, people don't have cultural competency training and they like once again imposing I think children need this you don't give it to them so I'm gonna put them in a household mm-hmm, that okay. doesn't um, even in the instances where a child should be moved from the home, it should be going into another home in the community um, or family member or someone from that, that kinship. Because, you know, if we look at residential school systems and the, the 60 scoops that followed it, they were placed in like white homes where they didn't grow up knowing their language. They didn't know who their family or community was. And, and now you have people who are 50, 60 years old connecting back to community finding out that they have siblings and relatives that they never mm-hmm. knew about and so you know m- removing a child from a home um i used to be a youth worker down in in toronto and i would have youth pulled from like kenora which is almost winnipeg placed in brampton this these kids have never left the reserve they might have never taken a bus before um and we don't realize the culture shock like mm-hmm. for some of these communities when you like when you go and leave them it's as if you left a, a country and gone to a completely different one like i don't think canadians realize that there are communities that don't have internet they don't mm-hmm. have clean drinking water we don't have grocery stores or hospitals or malls and shopping centers like it is the bare minimum I mean, even less than that and so like we, we're not we're not thinking about that mm-hmm. um you know people tell you just move off the reserve if you hate it so much like Blah, blah, blah. That is the only piece of land that community has because everything else was taken from them. And all of their family, their connection to their people is, is in that, that community. Mm-hmm. And so even if it's, it's really bad, that is all that they have. And so it's not realistic to just expect people to uproot their lives and to do something that is completely out of their comfort zone. It's, not, it's unfair, I think. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the child welfare system, there are several communities who have developed their own 
um, like versions of the Children's Aid Society mm-hmm. that encompasses their traditions, their protocols um, that, you know, places children in the community with like family or uh, like kinship um, so that they still have that connection. And I think that is like super important, um, especially, you know, given the state of our languages um, and our traditions that are at risk of, of being lost. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I won't get too much into like my personal details on how my family does it, but I just wanted to hear that perspective because I, I have heard it. And while some members of the community are very welcoming and, you know, um, we can talk off air about it, but yeah. I definitely wanted to hear that yeah, and thought. Once again, I don't think it's necessarily bad, right, if a non-Indigenous family um fosters or adopts an indigenous child the issue is when they're racist ignorant um and just like straight up don't know if you're gonna adopt um a Mi'kmaq child or foster one you should probably know what it means to be Mi'kmaq or like make the attempts because I've seen some like pretty offensive things done by foster parents who once again had the greatest of intentions, yeah, they just didn't know. but they just didn't know. And it ended up being super uncomfortable. And I'm like, I can only imagine what this kid's going to be going through when they go back home with them. Um, so like it, it all comes into that, the yeah. understanding once again. Um, I don't think anyone should be shamed for it or like, you know, uh, talk down to for yeah. a, like doing those things. I think it's once again, if you open your home to children and your intentions are really great, um, then I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, it's just, again, comes back to the understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I, I hate the term educate yourself, but, like, I, it is, like, educating yourself on yeah. what it means to be who they are and where they come from. And then, like, putting in the effort to connect them back to that community Yeah, um, is, is the biggest thing because they have to, it's going to be important for them to maintain that connection. There'd be nothing worse than fostering or adopting a child and then not wanting to take them to the community center or to mm-hmm. the like to their ceremonies or anything like that because th- that's just residential schools and like 60 scoop all over again yeah really so um yeah it's definitely interesting um <clears throat> one of the things you were saying um that i think a lot of people definitely i see online a lot i don't know how often they say it in person but it's yeah if you don't like it get off the reserve that that's that's a big one um you know from the limited knowledge i know i know there's like some some pretty big issues no cleaning no clean drinking water and a good amount of them, yeah. so, so what i'm like trying to wonder <laughs> is is like what what is the solution to what's happening on some of the reserves um is it government intervention is it uh, I- implementing education or jobs or, you know, what does, is it just leaving indigenous alone and letting them the, like the first nation in that community, um, like do their own thing? Like what is, how do we fix that in in your eyes or in the community's eyes? So right now I, I, I don't think government intervention, um, is good. I think it's actually what's making it worse off. Okay. Um, if, so, for example, there's something in South Africa, it's called Assets-Based Community Development. And what they're starting to do there is, um, for example, they uh, traditionally the men in this community would build all of the homes. Um, and they'd all gather together and they'd each individually build a home. But they, the government said, we're just going to bring in people and they're going to build you know, 20 new homes for you. 
which ended up happening is the men felt useless. They felt like they had no place in the community because now their role, their, their livelihood, what they've done has been taken from them. Um, we constantly remind people that they're impoverished. Um, you know, we say it's violence prevention or it's poverty reduction. We're just constantly reminding people that they're poor. Mm -hmm. What about sustainable livelihoods? What about skill building? How are you going to empower a community to like, like improve themselves? If I'm constantly doing it for you and I'm not telling you how you can do it yourself, I'm not actually empowering you. I'm just throwing money at you, hoping that you'll, you'll shut up until the next budget comes out. And so assets-based community development would mean... Uh, you need gowns for a graduation and you normally buy it from a huge corporation outside of the community. Instead, we're going to take a group of young women, let's say, they're going to learn vocational skills and how to sew and make gowns and we're going to pay them to make it for us. And now you're paying women in the community who are making things into the community and the money is going back to them. That's actual empowerment. That's building a sustainable livelihood. You're not telling people that they're poor and you're trying to reduce it. You're saying, hey, I want to help you build your skill sets. Uh, I see this is a need for your community. So, like, we, we need to transition away from, like, government throwing money at it because if you look at it, they're not throwing money to actually improve systems. They just kind of want to surface level solve things. Um, but there's a lot of, like, it costs, what, $2 billion, $3 billion? I don't know the exact number, to mm -hmm. give clean drinking water. Um, across the country and all of the different indigenous communities, yet we bought a three, four billion dollar pipeline. So that tells us where our priorities are lying at. And you know, there's controversy on that subject. But at the end of the day, they had the they had the ability to, to make clean drinking water a reality. Mm -hmm. They chose not to. They chose economic development over over that. And you know, I just try and think of if this was another country and we heard this was going on, what would the Canadian response would be? Um, you know, is the government corrupt? Are they violent? Are they, you know, terrible people? But because it's Canada, like, no, no, it's fine. Like, you know, it's important. We need this stuff. So it's like, how long are we expected to wait before? Um, and another thing is that, you know, the resource extraction that happens within Indigenous communities, it's not done to empower them. You know, these corporations and these businesses that go in and they extract the resources and you know they pay them pennies and a good chunk of instances mind you some may get paid better but once again it's like it's not for the benefit of the, those people it's for the benefit of a corporation and so like once again stepping away from that um violence against indigenous women increases whenever construction or extractive sites are present um and yet we're not talking about that um you know, there are like natural resource organizations that are Canadian who go to other countries and commit mass amounts of violence against indigenous peoples. And the Canadian government doesn't hold them accountable. Um, it's like these are the kind of conversations that just aren't taking place. I don't know how I got to this point. Or like I just wrote a bunch of things down. <laughs> um, but like in, improving those systems, it, it takes letting us, like once again, we we have our solutions we know what our communities need we just need the government to back off and stop telling us what they think we need um you know with all of these proposals and things that come out they put such strict guidelines um and and needs for it and so it ends up not being once again what we want but what others think that we need um does that make sense yeah no absolutely and i mean that's a it's a very 
large issue that no, it's not going to be up to one person or one team to solve. Like we all kind of like everyone needs to work together on this. What about kind of um, something I'm very passionate on is is mental health and you know I know the the suicide epidemic mm. um, <clears throat> and you know um, the alcohol the alcohol and and substance abuse as well. How do you think people can kind of you help that I, I don't know if it'll ever be solved i mean the whole world's going through a mental health crisis right now but oh, yeah <laughs> but i mean there it's it's in in these communities like it's I, I i mean i don't know firsthand but i've just things i've read things i've researched things i've heard it's bad yeah so like how do you how can we help that how, or is it the same type of yeah answer? um it it once again comes down to like recognizing what's going on and what's taken place that has led to there being suicide epidemics. Um, It's tied into, you know, chronic underfunding that there are so many young indigenous people. They don't have malls. They don't get to go to the movies. Mm -hmm. They don't have health centers. There's some reserves that have one high school. I mean, one school, sorry, from kindergarten to grade 12. Um, And so like, their foundational needs aren't met. If you, you know, could you imagine not having clean drinking water? You don't have a grocery store. Um, you don't have a hospital. You know, if you get pregnant, you get flown out of the community. Some, like, for the most part, if you get severely injured, you have to wait for a medevac to fly in and like hope that you're gonna make it. Mm-hmm. And so, these people, like these young people, are, are um, they're like in this this space where like their lives aren't being like validated or respected or honored and there's like systems put in place that just undermine them like the child welfare system and the education system and the justice system it's not set up to heal our communities Mm -hmm. Um, it just continuously hurts them and we need to take a holistic approach to like mental health and substance abuse and you know alcoholism um like really understanding and stop shaming people for it you know uh really acknowledging why substance abuse and alcoholism has been such a, a huge issue in some communities um it's, it's like not talked about enough where i don't think people really understand it and it, it ties back into intergenerational trauma um and how when you don't have a mental health center when you don't have a hospital and all you have is alcohol or drugs, that's mm-hmm. your coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if your grandparents, they weren't taught how to love because they didn't get that in a residential school or a day school. And so they didn't teach your parents how to love. And now today your parents don't know how to love you. I'm stuck in this cycle of, and like social media makes it so much worse because I can go on my phone and see what everyone else has that I don't, that I'm lacking. And so, I mean, you know, it might make you even feel like more of a failure or like less than. Um, and so a holistic approach would mean we so um, one teaching is from the medicine wheel and it's about the the physical emotional mental and spiritual and that uh, for example if i broke my leg and now i can't run anymore that could lead to me becoming mentally unwell 
Um, so I'm like, I'm physically unwell, I'm mentally unwell, emotionally, I could be like torn and now um, spiritually I'm damaged. So it's like everything is interconnected. You can't just solve a physical ailment. There's, there's so many different counterparts to it. You can't just cure someone's mind and d- depression. There's so many other things connected to it that needs healing, that needs support and like love. And if we're going to improve mental health systems, we have to really be mindful of that. And once again, it comes down to legitimizing indigenous practices that the land is healing. We need to be able to go out on the land. Um, if a young person tells you that, you know, they're healing, like they, they want to go out on the land, like they want to do a sweat or they want to do a vision, not a vision quest, um, but like a fast. You, like we're going to let them do that. We're not going to tell them that you need to see a psychiatrist and do that. Not saying that psychiatry is bad once again, but like how do we incorporate indigenous practices in, into these systems? Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that look like in a meaningful way? Uh, I don't think we're there yet either. <laughs> we're not close on a lot of things. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. And um, I mean, just society in general does such an awful job with mental health and yeah, it really does. Um, it's so underfunded. And uh, I've talked about this before. Lots of people are, the, the stigma is slowly breaking down, so people are like, I can talk. Mm-hmm. People are sharing their stories and how they feel, um, and there's no help. So it's like, okay, I've talked, now what? And they're yeah. like, okay, well, here's an eight-month wait list. Yeah. I mean, like, it's across the board, and it's only worse the farther. And that's in a city, a, a major urban area. Like, that yeah. doesn't even... So, like, if it's that bad here, how bad is it? Somewhere else, yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a really big generational disconnect, Um I know when Bell Let's Talk was happening, you know, you often see, I've heard a lot of older folks be like, everyone has a mental health issue nowadays, you know? Um, you know, they, they, they don't believe that mm-hmm. it exists. And, you know, having to step back and be like, no, you have trauma. You have mental health issues. You just did it. You just dealt with it through alcoholism, drugs, codependency issues, uh, like you, like girl like I can read all of the things on you <laughs> and you're not in a good place but you know our parents weren't taught to unpack and check yeah. those things so they don't see it like I take medication for ADHD and my father would say you don't need medication ADHD doesn't exist you don't need gut, like uh, you know prescribed medication to heal yourself and how do you be like you're an alcoholic you don't get to tell me what I do and don't need um and that you know like there's no shame in you being an alcoholic and I, I love you anyways, but like you really need to look inward and mm-hmm. see that you're not okay. Um, and that just because I'm speaking out about it, it doesn't make me weak. Um, I think our parents' generation associates like that vulnerability with weakness. 100%. Um, like crying is somehow weak when it's just like a natural thing your body does. And especially in men, for sure. Especially in men. And it's like no you can you can be vulnerable and and there's beauty in that and when you i I think something we need to really do and this is just society in general um we focus so much on the light let's talk about good vibes let's talk about the good things but we need to create spaces where we can talk about the dark um where we can like let it out because you feel so much better like when you get to say that deep dark thing that's been burrowed in your chest and you say it out loud into the universe and someone validates that Mm -hmm. and they say i experienced that too or like i see you and i love you anyways that's that's beautiful but when we say you can only come here and talk about the good things yeah uh like you just 
there's I read a really good thing. It was called um, toxic positivity. Oh, okay. Where it's it's that good vibes only. Yeah. Um, you I, know, y- y- someone comes to you and say, "I'm depressed." You're like, "Just get over it. Let's have a great day today." Yeah. Like, well, I was just vulnerable and reached out to you, and you you were trying to be really good and positive, but the impact was like, "Now I never want to talk to you ever yeah. again about what I'm feeling." Um, so that always resonated with me. Yeah. No, that's it. a big one, and it's funny because there is something to be said about you know. Um, thinking positively does have a positive effect on your mental health again but people don't understand like mental health is not it's not depression it's not adhd it's not bipolar it's mental health everyone has mental health like you have your good you have ups and downs good days bad days like it's just everything some people have a chronic issue i'm chronically depressed and you know Mm um it's so there's things like exercise, there's good diet, there's being positive, there's all these great things. But there's something to be said about just talking. And I've mentioned this on the podcast a numerous amount of times. We as a society just never want to acknowledge the really, really bad. And if it's really, really bad, it's a two-minute news cycle. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I've talked about, you know, the, the genocide in Yemen. There's a Muslim genocide in China. Mm-hmm. there's, you know, a rape crisis in India. I've talked about all these things, not in great depth, but most people are like, what? Really? What? Because mm-hmm. if the media doesn't report on it, then no one, you know, it's kind of cyclical now that you say it and we're talking about it. It's like, because people are like, oh, no, positive vibes only, bros. Like, mm-hmm. don't want to hear about it. Uh, yeah, and so I, the I news is like, well, no one's going to watch that or click on that, and I'm not going to make any money, so I'm not going to report on it. And I think it touches into what you were talking about before about guilt, is that they don't want to know about the genocide in Yemen while they're chilling on a beach because now they're going to feel guilty that, yeah. you know, this is happening, and I'm just trying to live my life, and da-da-da-da-da. So that it's just like choosing to remain ignorant is easier because it's less stressful or oh yeah 100 percent. it just like makes your life easier. ignorance is bliss type yeah thing. right yeah. and you know i can't hold people against that but i will say that it, it just creates a space for these cycles of violence to continue when we speak yeah. up and we say like we condemn those things and we we talk out against them and we hold people accountable that's what's going to actually lead to change if we all just stuck in a little bubbles and i said i only care about natives i don't care about any other people that's not going to lead to positive change. Mm-hmm. Um, like we really have to come together and support one another. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the thing I've been preaching, and and it's what I got tied into Twitter about is like, I, I uh, like view humanity as a whole. So I've understood now mm-hmm. through talking to people that there is an importance in acknowledging where people come from. So I've had numerous amount of conversations about this because I was always under the impression that you know it's kind of the color blindness thing so there's an earlier podcast where i was really critical on it because of color blindness <laughs> see exactly so <laughs> when i first heard it i was very critical about it and yeah. i've talked a lot about it because it's been something on my mind a lot because it's like why can't i just view people as people so i've had numerous amount of conversations about it like so you're pro colorblind or anti-color so what what i'm saying is like I don't want to view people as their color of their skin or what they identify. I just want to like base people on their character. Mm-hmm. So that was a big thing, and that's what I always thought was kind of right. I yeah, I I don't like the color yeah. So color there's line. there's part of that. That's yeah. right. It's like you should treat people with dignity. And like I said, I've talked to a lot of people about this because to me, it 
it, it was something on my mind. I'm like, I don't understand why this is wrong. I don't understand why this is wrong. And while I still agree to a certain extent that it's right, there is an importance and even learning in this conversation that you do need to acknowledge someone's culture or where they come from. Yeah, I don't think, um, like, racism doesn't stem from me um, seeing another Native person or, like, a, a person from a different culture and saying, hey, you're an ex person, right? It, it's when I say, you're an ex person, all your people do this, because you're this, you're probably going to do X, Y, mm-hmm. and Z. That's that's racism. Mm-hmm. But if I just, like, acknowledge what you are and then go about my life, that's fine. But it's, like, those prejudices and those yeah. biases that seep in, That that's when it becomes, like, a problem. But when we say that we're colorblind, it's, like, you don't look at the experience of, like, what I go through when I walk around yeah. as an Indigenous woman is that, like, you know, the justice system, the child welfare system isn't colorblind. Um, when, like, people... I've had people call me, like, a disease and tell me that my people shouldn't exist and that colonization mm. was a great, beautiful thing. Like, col- like it's a privilege to want to be colorblind um, or to, like to view that way because it, at the end of the day I don't or like people who are much darker than I am um, they don't get to have that that mm-hmm. opportunity uh, unfortunately yeah and it's so it's like I said it's something I've been sorry <laughs> no 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 it's good it's like uh, I still want to live my life to an degree where like a shitty person is a shitty person and a good shit per- but like it's also acknowledging and it's something that I, I always relate back to myself is my thing is mental health that's the thing I'm passionate about because it affects me. So I need to understand that, you know, someone like you is very passionate about this because it affects you directly. And I can't ignore that. Mm-hmm. And I can't make, it doesn't exist because, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I've, it's been something I've been exploring so much lately um, yeah, because I'm, I'm very interested in it. It's an important topic. Um, because, yeah, like a lot of people are just like, why can't I? A lot of people think that way. And... When it comes back to it, it's because I'm privileged to be able to think about that way. And I will never not acknowledge that as a straight white male that I definitely have privileges and Mm -hmm. I'm definitely at the top. Um, Some things on Twitter where I don't want to say there's an attack on white men, but there's definitely a changing of the conversation. Mm. And that stuff, like I said off air... I, I I hate the word triggered, but it it does in a way. Well, triggered is like a legitimate medical. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Not, I think it's but been the co-op- internet way. You know what I mean? Co-opted. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't like the co-op- internet way. It's been you like it. No, triggered. It's, it's now used a way to like shame people. Yeah, exactly. Who are, who are exper- you know, you say comment the like, word. What are you triggered? I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I just told you my opinion. Yeah, so that's what I mean. That's what I hate about <laughs> it. So like one of the things is, you know guys are getting called out a lot more, which some justifiably so. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really hate about that is like, as I don't want to be lumped in with the pieces of shit who send dick pics to girls on Instagram just because I'm a white straight guy, you know? It's like, I try to be a really good human being and I'm trying to learn and like someone just, you know. I think it ties back into that guilt thing. Like, for example, if I if I text um, men who ghost are trash and you've never ghosted someone before, if you see that, you shouldn't have to worry about being yeah. with them because you've never done it. So if I say white men who mansplain suck, you're like, well, I've never done that. That's fine. But if you have, like checking yourself, you're like, you know what? I've done that before. Yeah. I'm going to like hold myself accountable and recognize it. And like, I'm going to move forward. Yeah. But like moving forward doesn't mean forgetting all the shitty things you've done. It says, hey, you know what? Like, for example, um, I was in a really emotionally abusive relationship for like quite a bit. 
And after I broke up with him, I started dating someone else and I became emotionally abusive. Mm. Um, like I was replicating the things that was done to me because I didn't know how else to love or be in a relationship. And it wasn't until I, I broke up with him and I was like, I was actually a really toxic person. Um, like what I did was super fucked up. Mm -hmm. And it was like a year later and I reached out to him and said, I'm really sorry for the things that I put you through. I'm sorry for the person that I was like. I've gotten a lot better now, but I just wanted to reach out to you and let you know, like, I'm deeply sorry. And like, we had a great conversation. He told me, like, I understand, but that's being accountable, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, what does accountability look like? If you see a tweet and, you know, it might sound like generalizing, you'd be like, you know, that's not me. I don't do that stuff. I don't got to worry about it. Um, it's like, you know, when it was the yes, all women, hashtag not all men, like that kind of bullshit that was going on yeah. on Twitter. It was like, if you're not a man that rapes women or like sexually assaults them, you shouldn't be offended by this. Mm -hmm. um, but for some reason, that's not. Yeah, it's weird. There's certain things that get me and then other things. And it, it is kind of that thing. It's guilt, I think. Um, guiltiness is or just like you, maybe sometimes it's like the overall conversation and that's where i get sucked into twitter like you see <clears> that article like someone tweeted this and the whole internet was shook and but and they're really like five people exactly and that that's where my <laughs> mentality has needed to change because i'm like what the fuck is going on like why are people talking like this it like, was just like the santa santa baby or it's cold outside song or whatever oh they're, yeah like exactly everyone's offended literally no one in my circle of friends was talking about yeah. that we did not care um but that's the role of the news and the media yeah, is to get people absolutely. pissed off screaming yeah. at each other because chaos yeah chaos is great makes for money yeah. monetization it makes us easier but to control it's just like I'm, I'm just speaking out loud because i also want to hold myself accountable in ways now that i'm talking with you because there have been things i have said that would be viewed as insensitive um and i just want to like acknowledge that i've heard people tell me about it and then I've tried to look and address it. And then I also want to kind of get it from a perspective where someone, I mean, as yourself, would probably have the other side of the argument of which I, I'm experiencing and can put it in a way now that I'm talking um, in a way that's not 140 characters or 280 characters. It's right. It's like, no, like you're putting it to me honestly. And I'm like, OK, great. Yeah. I'm understanding where it's coming from now, um, which you, a lot of people don't get because... Like we said, there's the, I, I want to avoid the conflict or yeah. trying to shame each other on social media or... or it, it's hard right now in uh, call-out culture. The call-out, yeah, exactly. Call out, and like, exactly. like this extremely... Like one of the things that bothers me um, is like the extremely fake woke culture or the, uh, like the call-out culture. Um, if I call you out and call you a piece of shit, you're literally not going to learn anything. You're probably not going to listen to anything that mm -hmm. I have to say. Um, but if I call you in and I say, hi, you know, I saw that you said this and I'd like to talk about it and like why I think it's hurtful. You're going to be a lot more open to hearing what I have to say. Yeah. Um, like one of the biggest things I believe in and people can dis like I people can disagree, but I think um, you can educate people from a place of anger. Uh, I think anger is a great tool for movements, mobilizing. But when it comes down to sitting with someone and, and having a conversation, if I'm screaming at you and belittling you and telling you that you're stupid or racist, you're not going to want to talk to me. Mm -hmm. But if I honestly and genuinely tell you, like, what you did really sucked and it really hurt, um, and, like, it is racist, but I, I want to talk about it with you, like, that's going to be completely different. Um, and we have this woke culture, you know, where we want, we expect everyone to know everything. Um, we, we, we think like we have to look at it, for example, that, you know, people who are impoverished, 
um, people who are like really like not have access to you know good educational systems if they say something um, that's offensive or like ignorant they probably grew up in an environment where that was the norm and like I'm not validating it i'm not excusing it but it is a reason it was the reality Mm -hmm. i read something that it was like um you know x people didn't do this back in the day when like x group was doing this and i was like but that's a completely different context like my grandmother my oma on my mom's side god rest her soul she was a racist woman Mm -hmm. she was also an old german woman who probably grew up around other old german racists and they didn't know any better so i'm like my grandmother loved me I, i could see that she loved me in her own little weird way um and I can still acknowledge that she was a racist, but I'm not going to hold it against her because at the end of the day, she didn't know better. Yeah. Um, what I will say is that I'm not going to excuse it. No. Um, it's not okay. But, you know, I love you anyways. And, you know, you did what you could. Um, probably could have done better. But, like, you know, that's hearsay. Um, but, you know, I can't. Uh, th- 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 it all comes down to accountability. If, you know, you see someone that it's revealed that they did something and they've like they've continuously tried to make amends and. Uh, you shame them for that or you try and bully and embarrass them for that you're essentially saying people can never actually improve it'd be different if i did a really shitty thing didn't give a shit that i did that thing um and like went about my business and continued to replicate that same form of violence that's that's different right like that shows that i haven't improved and i don't really care about what i'm doing to people i don't know how i got to this no i and i agree there needs Society needs a road to redemption um, in, mo- in most cases. I think there are some acts of violence or criminality that I, I don't think necessarily should be forgiven or redeemed. Things like, you know, murder or rape. That's up to, like, the individual yeah. type thing. But something like, uh, something like Joe Biden, I think, is a good recent example as we talk about this. So he was in the news because... Some women came forward and said um, he did his touching or his mannerisms. I don't know if you saw this, but made them uncomfortable. So what I guess from the perspective of Joe Biden, um, you you know who Joe Biden is. Didn't he do that Fear Factor stuff? (laughs) That's Joe Rogan. (laughs) Never mind. No, that's okay. (laughs) Oh, Joe Biden. Yeah, I know who he is. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I was thinking of Fear Factor. (laughs) No, that's hilarious, though. And I don't, sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. No, I don't care. That just made me laugh. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so Joe Biden, former vice president of the yeah, United States. Yeah, I've seen States. the videos of him. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It is creepy. Yeah, it is a little creepy. And, you know, he might not have known that at the time. Um, maybe he, arguably, he should have. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make all sorts of arguments from a whole, all, all, a whole bunch of different sides of depending where you are. But what the point is, is what should be allowed is him being like, okay, like I saw the video. Um, and I'm like, you know what? That was creepy. And I apologize sincerely. Um like, you know, when I, an acknowledgement that what I did was maybe inappropriate and like people being like accepting of the apology and able to move on. I think there just needs to be that road to redemption where people, it doesn't, it doesn't validate it or make it right, but it, he's acknowledged it. He's, and he's apologized and what, what's he doing to make it right? Or, yeah. you know, it, yeah. The best apology is changed behavior. Yeah. It, but I love what you said that like, it's this. It's the call out culture, and it really. Right now, it's a big. Uh, you said what with the fake woke or. Uh, it's like ext- being extreme woke. Yeah, um, like I, because I really have a problem with that too. Where, someone says something and they they quote tweet it and then they're like, 
look at this person and then all their followers are like ah, like get that person and mm-hmm. you know what i mean and you're just kind of like that person's never going to change because now they have this experience of oh no all the left is crazy or all the right is crazy and i had this discussion again on a podcast where i said i would listen to even like a kkk member and he was kind of <laughs> he, he was kind of like oh i'm like not because i agree or validate but you know maybe no one listened to him maybe his dad put this into his you know what you were saying about how they grew up this way i'm not saying i could change them i'm not saying this mm. but like just listening in a way and just being like okay like you're, that's not right. I think you should change this is why, blah, 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 blah. But yelling at them, it just creates more conflict and they, they double down on it. Yeah, like what what's happened, right, is that, um, like once again, KKK, they could suck a dick. I mean, that's like super them. extreme. Yeah, but example. One, of the, one of the things is that what we're seeing right now with the alt-right and like the uprising of, um, what are they called again? Antifa? Or are you talking nope. about the left or are you talking about the right? Talking about the um, virgins who... Oh, like incel community? Incels. Yeah. So we're looking at the alt-right and the incels, right? Um, they've been pushed so far underground that they're just like seeping. Yeah. That there's so many of them now because they don't feel... And once again, fuck those guys. I hate them. Well, it's absolutely not right that they think this way. But recognizing that... Um, They've been pushed so far underground that they've taken to these forums and these channels to talk about their, these things. Um, and, like, I don't think that they deserve to have a platform and that people should, like, have to watch them, you know, give university lectures, um, especially when they're denying people's human rights or advocating mm-hmm. for violence against people. But, like, how has society contributed? Especially, like, Western colonial society contribute to the creation of this. Like the structures of what made Canada and the United States are why we have these things. Mm-hmm. It's why men 100%. think that they're entitled to a woman's body. It's why, um, you know, the KKK thinks that, you know, the white race is the ultimate race. Um, and so like, how do we actually navigate these conversations or how do we have them? I honestly think it's up to like other men or other like white people to be leading the charge because it's not safe for a person. No, color. especially with, like yeah we're talking about like the most extreme yeah especially with the all right like it would not be safe for me no, to go absolutely. to that um because you know it usually leads in some, like citing of violence and so it's like once again not excusing it not validating it recognizing it for what it is and then holding those people accountable mm-hmm. and that hey you know what you said something that's racist or sexist i named it and i told you it and now it's up to you yeah you didn't know before now you know if you do it again probably going to think you're a racist yeah didn't the first time gave you the benefit of the doubt but no yeah like not going to do that again yeah i fall because like i i fall on the other side where and again i'm not the one they're attacking so that's why i have this view so i can totally understand but like i find when you ban people or try to protest their speaking or whatever again it just creates more conflict um, yeah. and then again, like you said, you get, they get pushed underground and then they get into these fostered echo chambers of thought and you're like, yeah, yeah. And then everyone's like agreeing and you're like, yeah, let's get the, uh, yeah. and 
just by silencing them, where do they go? We don't know. What are they talking about? Mm. I don't know. What are they saying? Where are they going to be? I don't know. Mm. Right? At least if you have them in plain sight, yeah, it's not fair to disenfranchise people and people are being impressed. It's, it's, you know, I'm not saying it's right for them to say those things on social media, but by banning them, I just, I don't think that's helping anything. And I don't have the answer. I wish I had a better solution, but I think it's up to all of us to be like, this is not an okay idea for society to have. This Mm -hmm. is, it's not right. And us as a collective society are going to be like, we're just, we're not going to follow you. We're not going to listen to you. Mute, maybe like that type of thing. Like, I, I wish there was something simpler, but like I just worry about when you ban people and when you silence them, it just creates more passion or more doubling down, more, no, you see, like, they don't like us, so now we really gotta, like, it just, yeah. that's what frightens me about it. Well, I think there's two things to that. Um, one being, like, the difference between hate speech and freedom of speech. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, it's... It would it's like unfair, for example, when there's these speakers who get banned, but they have some really messed up ideologies, yeah, and that it would be unfair for for like a campus to host that person who's straight up denying like the rights or the existence of a certain yeah. group of people um specifically because a lot of the people who are going to hold those kind of views, they don't actually want me to come in and have a conversation yeah. with them. Yeah, they want to impose their ideologies. Um, they just want anyone and everyone to listen to them, but they don't actually want to have those discussions. And so that that's the difficulty is that, you know, if people had those shitty views, but they're open to hearing other perspectives or to being challenged, um, that that's different. But yeah. I, I think, unfortunately, like if we're going extreme far, far yeah. right, Um, or even extreme far left is that we don't actually want to hear what other people have to say. 100%. We just want a platform to say it. So that's where it's like, do we just ban them until like, I I don't, I don't know what the solution is, but I I just think that we're at, I don't know. We're we're at such an interesting point in time right now. To me, to me it all, I think funnels back down to education Um, I think that's where everything starts and having a good education system for children to foster and grow. And like you said, understand the history of, you know, the, the people of that land and their communities and like, but like, not only that, like everybody, like just have a truly all encompassing education system. So when you're a child, no one is, I truly believe no one is born with hate. That is completely learned. So if your parents are racist or you're growing up, but if everyone's growing up in this thing where it's incredibly diverse and educational and you understand this person's background and everyone just is, it's it's just, you don't know anything different. Like everyone's just going up with this. Mm -hmm. I just think that like, you you always have the people, you know, if you have a a thousand people in a room, you're always going to have a couple assholes in there no matter what. Some people, unfortunately, just, whether it's mental illness or whatever, just they don't do that. But if you grow up with people with truly understanding all aspects of humanity, I think really like most people would grow up to be level-headed, tolerant, understanding adults. And then the people who weren't, we could be like, "Mm, like, yeah, no, like Mm. you're on your own there, buddy. Like go for it. 
Um, I was curious to know what you thought about the Gillette commercial. That was, which one was that? Toxic masculinity. It's interesting. Um, I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> I I supported it. I I agree. Like, I played hockey. Um, you know, at one point, like, I'm ashamed to say it, but I was one of those fuck boys. You know, like treating girls like shit just to get sex. Unfortunately, and it mm-hmm. took mu- it took a couple years for me to finally be like, wow, I was a piece of shit. Um, doing the same similar thing to you as going as far as being like. Hey, no, it's been a couple years, but I just wanted to let you know I was a piece of shit and I'm really Mm. sorry for that, Um, which is a weird experience. But anyways, (laughs) I haven't watched the commercial in a while. Do you still remember Pretty Fresh? Yeah. Oh, they just talk about like... Go through it because I'll remember it because I remember um, it being a thing. They're talking about like rape culture and the Me Too movement. Um, You know how we say boys will be boys and we let like boys beat each other up. Um, mm. like when they cat call women, um, like the boys of today are the men of tomorrow or something yeah. like that. Um, and it was like, is that the best we can be or something? Like yeah. That? No. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, yeah, like I said, like I've seen guys treat women like shit and I have a lot of women friends and they tell me stories and I'm like, fuck me. Like, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I know, I know guys are shit. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I was shit too. Like, it just, it kind of happens. And unfortunately, it does happen. Um, one, I think, is biological in a way. Coming from, as a man, as, not as so much as when you're adult, but when you're a teenager, like, it's just, it's a free-for-all. Like, all you do is think with your penis. Like Women do that, too. I, I know. I know that now. Yeah. I know that now. Which I think is, like, once again, reflective of the educational system is that people don't... Um, well, women aren't free to express their sexuality yeah, well, the same way as a, men. You know, being in a high school, if a man slept with a girl, um, a, 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 slept with a woman, sorry, he was like the man. Yeah, the, and if it was ever found out that you yeah. did that, whore, no, yeah. for the next four years of your life. Um, so that was like really hard. No, yeah, exactly. Um, but just like, so from my, so yeah, like, like. Sorry, everybody listening, but like when you first discover you can masturbate as a guy whenever you want when no one's looking, like it's it's just a madhouse. Any guy who says no, like it, it's like six or seven times a day, like it's <laughs> just bananas. <clears throat> so, you know, you grow up with that. And I think biologically, men are wired to just want to produce. And if you look, and I'm not, I don't know shit about biology. I mean, I'm talking on my ass right now. But if you look at the animal kingdom, men are always forced to, forced. Lions fight for the dominance, right? Like you fight to lead the pack. Elephants fight, giraffes fight in order to mate. So I think there's something inherent in that for men. And I, I think where we failed as a society is teaching men how to control themselves and like yeah young, young holding boys, them accountable for holding it. Them like, accountable, that's not okay teaching, teaching young boys how to be um like respectful and responsible you know growing up as a little girl if a boy hit you you're told it's because he really likes yeah. you so now as a woman if i grow up and a man hits me am i going to associate it with that same thing because that's all i was fed when i was younger yeah um so like we've normalized a lot of really unhealthy traits yeah um and like just the the thing about I always find that's well I, I, I believe is that you know um 
all of the societal things that exist, um, these gender roles and these gender restrictions, uh, you know, specifically like against men, it's from other men, realistically, right? Like Mostly, yeah. The foundation of, let's say, Canada, um, like the deep old school values and traditions mm -hmm. where a man doesn't cry and he's strong and dominant. And that came from other men because women didn't have power or influence yeah. to to control those things and so when i see men getting mad at like people saying toxic masculinity or they're saying you know like men you know are also assaulted or like i can't i'm not i'm not entitled to feel emotions or express them i'm like your issue lies with the men before you um but as women we also have a role in that but where i, I think is a big issue is that women are expected to save men that happens a lot, absolutely. Um, Men don't talk about it, and I you're want a just friend who's gonna heal and save me. Yeah, baby, I'm not your therapist. Yeah, um, and, and so that's where it's like it's really important to have these conversations and to create spaces for men to have these conversations, but it needs to be led by other men. Yeah, um, women mobilize to get the right to vote. Men need to mobilize to create the, the systems and organizations where they can you know, have shelters and, and, and these safety things because they're deserving of it. Like, you need it. it, it it's, it's a fundamental right these people should have. But, like, why are women ex always expected to be the ones? Yeah. Why are these conversations only brought up when women bring that's, up their that, concerns? Honestly, like, that's a great point. And I never thought about that, thought about it that way. But it's 100% accurate. Which point? Like, that men need, it, like, it's be men are like, like, all these issues are happening to men because of, decisions made by men or like you know what i mean so they decided what the family was going to look like yeah so you know and by like just wrapping up the point before while a lot of that stuff is biological and it's hormones just like f women when they're going through the hormone changes have their certain things that still doesn't mean you can't have respect for other people and women especially like mm. just because you're going through all these changes like that that's not an excuse for not being respectful or, you know, sexually assaulting people. And like, that's, I was able to control it. Like everyone can control it. Yeah. It's, it's happening, but like, yeah, it's giving the tools to deal with that. It's just gross when you see guys being like, it's our animalistic instinct to like be sexual. Be I'm like, you know what? Shut the hell up. Like <laughs> you can control yourself. But, you just choose not to. Exactly. Um, like it, it's a human, I think, aspect for all of us to be sexual for the most part. Yeah. For the most, I know there's, you know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's different identities, but I think as a whole, hum humanity, like our job forever biologically was to reproduce. Like mm -hmm. that was it's basically what it came down to. So, Men have just been taught it's their fundamental right. Yeah, in a lot of ways. And um, it's definitely condoned and celebrated in a lot of ways as well. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I'm not going to share some stories of things I've seen and things I've heard that even more like... I've seen tweets. I just thought about some tweets that I saw. But yeah. Oh, just like personal, like even things in the dressing room and stuff. I'm like... Oh, I was thinking more of like... Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the City Girls. Mm, no. The rappers, they sing with Cardi B. I saw, um, the were they in Congress? No way. No, okay, that's something the else. They sing the twerk song. Twerk, twerk, I don't twerk. know that one. Um, <laughs> so someone was tweeting like, so they're they're very sexual, they're yeah. very open. I personally, I love them, respect the hell out of them. Um, you know, they talk about wanting to sleep with, they only want to sleep with men with money. 
whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and I'm seeing, you know, a lot of dudes being like, this is the downfall of women. Um, you know, look at these nasty thoughts, just belittling them. And I'm like, the same rappers that they idolize talk about murdering women, yeah. raping women, um, killing other men, robbing, stealing, thieving, doing all of these things. But you see almost naked women twerking and that's, that's the downfall yeah. of humanity, not all of those other things. And it's like we don't extend the same uh, standards for women that we do for men. Yeah. It's like we're not allowed to be sexual. And if we are, it's like the downfall of the home. You know, as a woman, I'm expect, you know how many men expect me to know how to cook and clean um, all the while working. They can't build me a house. They don't know how to fix a car. Mm-hmm. Um, women, ha- like to survive today as a woman, I need to know how to do all of these things and then some. But men aren't, for the most part, not to generalize, they're not doing those same things mm-hmm. um, because it, they haven't they haven't needed to. Yeah. But like I'm still expected to be domesticated and take care of my man and hold down a good home. And he's allowed to not know how to cook, clean, mm-hmm. wash his clothes or make a bed. And, and that's like totally. I yeah. just went on another. No, but so I know you know a lot better than I do as a woman. But like, I feel that changing in a way at least from like the men i know and talk to but again that's only my circle i can't speak as a whole like is it slowly changing or men are like still like that much misogynist in terms of like especially that like you gotta cook for me you gotta clean for me is it like dating culture is very much still very toxic that's weird um you know you'll you'll you know, Tinder, Bumble, all of those things. You get a lot of inappropriate messages. Oh, I know that um, for sure. You get yeah. men who are, you know, they're like, oh, can you cook for me? I'm like, how about you ask me on a date? Mm-hmm. How about you take me out somewhere? Um, why am I expected to, like, fuck you, make you dinner when you haven't even asked me my favorite color yet? Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with casual sex. There's nothing wrong with hooking up. But it's being done right now in a way where it's based on, like, lies and manipulation yeah. um, and, like, hurting people, w- which isn't respectful. And that, also, once again, everything comes back to education and that we don't teach young people healthy sexuality. No, we don't yeah. teach them how to, like, express themselves, what consent and boundaries look like. And that's why we have this rape culture and the, and these things going on in our society right now because it's just, like, we're not talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to that, that light versus darkness or we don't want to talk about yeah. those like really things do you mind if i ask you a question sure um how often do you message first Ooh, almost every time you do yeah and i know bumble obviously but like what happens which is interesting like so being a plus size woman and like dating um what a lot of guys do is they just like mega swipe yeah. and then you might message someone and they disappear because they didn't actually like you but as like a woman i take the time if i like someone yeah yeah, yeah. um and yeah, it might sense. I'm going to like, why am I messing, matching with you? It's interesting. Um, so I, I asked not to cut you off. No, so cool. from my perspective, you don't get message first. I thank God I have a girlfriend now. <laughs> so I'm done with that crap. <laughs> um, but so in my, so in my experience, when I was on these dating apps, I would get maybe a match or two a week. Maybe, okay. maybe. Um, and I know women like it's, pretty common to just always have a lot of matches at least like I can't speak for everybody but like my girlfriend told me yeah like I'd have like it would always be on the 99 plus like I could never keep up full disclosure I did pay for tinder gold because okay. I want to see what it was 
I made it, and I think within two days, no, within a week, I probably had about 3,000 people like me. Yeah. So, so that doesn't, so I'm just, I, and again, not agreeing or condoning with the behavior of men, but I'm just going to share a little bit of perspective from the other side of dating. Do it. Um, what I think happened, so men, and I, I assume if you're super really good looking, like you probably get a lot of matches and dates and that's probably fine. What I think happens <clears throat> is men basically send that because I th- I I see dating still cult like as a society that in general as a man I have to win over the women to date come to date me or go on a date with me. It's all and I find it a lot. It's like I'm asking questions, they're answering, and like that's it. Mm-hmm. That that was that was a big experience for me. Yeah. So what I think happens is. Men are going through this and it's never going anywhere. And I think a lot of them just give up and they just do the odds that I'm going to send a picture or something sexual to a hundred women. Odds are one's probably going to get back to me and that's all I need. I think that's what happens. Probably. And I'm not saying that's right. Mm -mm. Like it's still gross. But I think when in a lot of terms of like the dating world, a lot of women still mostly have the power. In turn, the power dynamic on that on that part of it. I, I think um, I do think that women hold the power in terms of dating, but I don't think majority of us know that. I think which is fair. Men, um, because like you said, I get not, also not to toot my own horn. I get a ton of matches, right? Mm-hmm. Not even matches, likes. Um, and I've had guys who have been so cocky and into themselves and like the way they talk to you. And I said, that's really unattractive that you would message me something like that mm-hmm. when like it, it's so un- it's unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and they'll treat you like, uh, you know, they'll play games with you. They might ghost you. Have you ever heard of zombieing? So when you mm. ghost someone, when you zombie them, it means you just like pop back out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> hey, girl, I know it's been three months. Sorry, I was dealing with some stuff. Uh, My clock broke. Oh, jeez. Uh, and like they zombie you. That's funny. Um, and so you know they'll like treat you. Like, they'll be a bit of a player because they think like they're the shit. Yeah. And like women, and uh, once again, not generalizing, um, who might form like emotional attachments or something like that. They're gonna be like, oh my god, I want to get his attention, and they'll they'll fight for his attention, mm-hmm. not realizing that baby girl, you just got three hundred likes. He probably got five. Yeah, I think that's... But they're only focusing on that one and not the 299 other ones that they have. Whereas the man, he only got five and she's talking to him so he knows he can just like screw around with her. Yeah, it was was so interesting. Um, But like, it's funny because like, you know, I've been ghosted by women. Like some... (laughs) I know, that sucks. I just... Sometimes I see a little bit of hypocrisy and especially in dating. Like, oh my God, it's like, yeah, like... Whatever, men are trash. Like, that's fine. I know a lot of men are trash. But, like, don't act like... They're trashy women. Yeah. Like, don't act like it's not... It's it's a... Mm. Like, they're just shitty people. They're yeah. just... There's crappy dating habits. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it all comes down to, like, we're not teaching our young people how to date. Again, yeah. We teach them how to date, um, how to communicate, what's a boundary. Like, we don't teach them that. Um, and there's this whole romantic, romanticization of finding the one. Mm-hmm. And that person's going to be your every, everything and anything. And they're going to save you and heal you. 
and they're gonna you know do anything that you need is like what i think a lot of young people view like love and yeah. relationships it's just not realistic um and that just leads to what's the word i'm looking for disappointment yeah, yeah i would agree yeah 100 percent. and you know um i, I don't want to like it, and at the end of the day this is not a big deal in, in terms of what women have to go through but in the, you know, the, the movement now of Me Too, yeah, that's fine. Um, in, the, in that movement, like, it's good. You have to be very cautious of what, you know, what you're doing now in, in a way. So because what I'm trying to get at is, like, every person is different and we can't. And what might be okay to one woman might not be okay to the other. And it's very tricky. You know, sometimes women are like, men, don't talk to women at all in public. It's scary. And then other women are like, I don't understand why men aren't talking to me. I don't get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's a, the navigating the landscape. And again, I'm, I, context at the, between this and being sexually assaulted, like, this, yeah. this, is, this is very minuscule. But I'm just talking in, initial conversation like yeah no i think it's very it's it's very tricky just to to navigate like what's okay what's not okay am i going too far am i pushing it it's Uh, all about vibes and body language yeah i think um and but you don't get that through tinder right like and that's what makes these dating apps so tricky Mm -hmm. but i I think more like person um you know when you saw toxic like masculinity and all Mm -hmm. that stuff going around you're seeing people like oh i don't even want to talk to women now like if i look at them they're gonna say that i'm assaulting them and it's like you know when you're being inappropriate deep Mm -hmm. down you know and if you ask a woman to do something and she says no and you say come on just do it Please do it for me. And you coax, coax her and push her. That's inappropriate. Like mm-hmm. We don't think of that as a form of assault. But you just coerce and force someone. Not really. Like You just convinced someone to do something they originally told you no. Um, because we going back to boundaries, we haven't taught young people enough. When someone tells you no, you don't question it. You, you say, I respect your no. I'm going to walk away. And that, that can be for men, women. That can be for anyone. Mm-hmm. But that's why it's like we're not... Uh, it, like, you know, when men do things, they know when you're, you know, when you're being inappropriate for the most Sometime, part, when like you, when you cat call someone and you call no, her a sex, of course, sex, of course, or if you're in a bar and you like slap someone's ass, of and course, you, and they go, Oh, I'm offended. But if you go up to someone and say, I think you're really attractive. And she says, I'm not interested. You go, okay. Yeah. Fine. But when you say, damn, you sexy bitch. And oh, they yeah. go, they get offended. And you're like, what? Oh, see, women are so sensitive. <laughs> da, 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 da. But like, no, th- and those are very concrete examples. Some people, though, again, and this is me in the Twitter world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, as I roll my eyes, but I've seen, like, calling a woman beautiful is a form of sexual assault. Yeah, well, that's that extreme woke culture. Yeah, so you see some of that, and you just, I I wonder how people get there, because it's like, if I go up, I'm like, hey, I I think you're really beautiful, would you want to go on a date? And you say no, and I walk away. Like, that should be like a you know, a fairly normal, in my mind, a fairly normal interaction. I've respected your boundaries. I let you know how I felt. I complimented you. You didn't reciprocate. I left. End of the story. But some people would go as far as to say, like, that's inappropriate. Like, da-da-da. Like, I I saw a Twitter thread that, like, if you're in, in an elevator with a girl, don't even acknowledge her. Like, I just, yeah. you know, like, turn your head away, put 
to your phone. Like, don't acknowledge that she's there because she's probably scared of you. And I'm like, it's un- I understand that. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you don't know what that guy is going to do. And I can sympathize with that. But at the same time, I hate that society has got there. That, like, a man and a woman can't necessarily have a normal conversation without some sort of perceived notions beforehand. Yeah. And I think that ties into with the, the yes, all women. Um, I don't, are you familiar with that? I know the not all men. I don't know if yes, all so women. So yes, all women is basically that all all women at some point in our life have experienced a form of harassment or like and I sexual harassment 100% would and uh, the not all men was a response saying well not all men do that yeah. and I was like well no one said all men do that we're just saying all women at any point in their life have experienced that mm-hmm. and it's just like the reality of being a woman yeah. that um when I was younger I never realized how messed up it was. Um, we'd have to do self-defense, cl- like a self-defense day. I remember, I remember that. Um, and like the women. And they told us, if a, if a man is hurting you, don't re- yell rape because no one will come and save you. You need to yell fire. And that's what they told us. I was like 13 uh, years old, 14 years wow. old. And they're like, you need to yell fire if someone's hurting you because that's what's going to bring people to come and save you. Um, and it's like, that's just, that's what we, we taught our, our young women. Um, and you know, you get sexualized from a very, very young age and that, that does have an impact on people. And it, you know, I have to walk, you know, make sure when you're walking, you walk with your keys in your hand and you have your, you know, your friends on speed dial and you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Like how many, when I go on Tinder dates, um, you know, picture of the license plate, send the profile to my friend. I tell them where we're going, like what time I'm going to be finished at, you know, we don't, men don't do that. For the most part, I would assume. The only thing I've ever done, um, I've just texted someone if a girl invited me over on the first date. Yeah. I would just text a friend and say, this is the address I'm at. That's that's valid. It's being like a smart dater. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you never know. So you don't want to find out in like a precarious situation. Yeah. So like that, that would be the only, but, and again, I totally sympathize that like all these things that. And even when I was dating, I'd be like, "Hey, do you need my? Do you want me to pick you up? Here's my license plate number, my car. Like, what do you need? Like, mm-hmm. if you don't, totally cool. But like, you know, be having a lot of female friends. Like, I, I understand. I hear the stories. So like, yeah. I can also, my, I'm just sad for humanity that we've landed at this point. Yeah, where the human aspect of everything is gone because people suck." <laughs> But I, I do think that there is, like, I, I do have a lot of hope in our, our young people. And I agree, yeah. And the movements that are taking place. I think, you know, despite all of the bad things that are happening, there's still a lot of good. Um, and, we you know, we should be proud of that good and we should celebrate it. And, um, yeah, it does make me really hopeful that things will get better and, and continue to become, like, a healthier, happier society. Um, you know, I think I have to believe that because if not, then... It just seems so hopeless. <laughs> yeah, no, but I agree. Like Generation Z, you know, people ninety five and old, younger. Um, ninety five and older. No, younger. younger yeah, ninety five yeah, yeah, to now. So I guess they're Generation Z, but they're coming up. They're the social age with social media. Like that's how they're coming in. They're not, from what I see, like they're not standing for this bullshit that millennials, Gen X, baby boomers all do. The, the racism, the misogyny, the like gender roles, sexual repression, mm. all that stuff, you know, like 
they're not standing for it because they're growing up in a time where everyone kind of is equal in their eyes for the most part. Yeah. And I really hope that they, the like equality for Indigenous people also comes into that as they grow older. And hopefully, I don't know what they're learning in school, but I really hope that... Oh, Ford. Uh, they're they're learning. Ford's yeah, government well, pulled the indigenous education piece. So. Yeah, we could go in a whole other podcast <laughs> about that guy, but um, I I agree with you, and I I am hopeful that mm. the future generation. I don't think millennials are going to do it. I think we'll help. I think millennials will do it. We've done. We've we've laid so much of the foundation. Yes. and the work, and that's what I mean. I I think we'll kind of because we'll be the ones who when. We'll be the leaders when generations are entering the workforce, for the most part. Um, and I think us together will take, will change society in a lot of ways, yeah. economically, socially. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree. I, I'm, I, I'm actually quite hopeful because what I see from them is they don't stand for this bullshit. That assery. Yeah. I didn't protest when I was in grade eight in high school. I've been scared. Yeah, I but they're like. I don't. Sh- I don't care. I'll go on. You want me to go on the national TV and talk about it? Reform guns, everybody! Like <laughs> Trump. Like I love it, and yeah. I love the passion. And whether I agree with it or don't agree with the messaging, like you know what? Hands up! Like you guys go for it because mm-hmm. we can all have different beliefs and exist like harmoniously. You know, like yeah, together. In a pe- yeah, you know, and we just. We talk it out like we just did and show perspectives and like just learn from each other and we understand each other. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been great. It's been two hours. Really? Yeah. It, it flies by. It's like a it time It really warp. does. Oh, wow. Um, but on that positive note, uh, thank you for this very enlightening conversation. Hello. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I learned a lot for sure. Well, I'm happy to hear Hope that. lots of people learned and um, keep doing amazing things because so the much. world needs people like you. Thank you. Who are out there it. actually on the ground changing things. Well, so well, I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for coming on. Bye. Bye everybody. in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.